All right. Welcome to the latest episode, the first one of 2024. Happy New Year. This is the Dan Time Podcast. I'm your host, Dan McArdle. Thanks so much for being here, for subscribing, for absorbing, for immersing yourself in this show. Every week, I try to make it a fun and fulfilling experience for you, the listener. Bringing you a variety of guests with very unique stories. I hope you've enjoyed the last few episodes featuring Dan Kabelka coming back for our holiday special, Emily Haynes Cook, my dear friend, blues great Danielle Moralia, music theater performers Danny Pike and Danny Rubio, and so many others. Go back and check the past episodes for the full list. My guest today is veteran singer-songwriter in Melbourne, Australia's very own Dan Brody. A two-time ARI Award nominee, Dan has released eight studio albums plus a few EPs over a recording career that spans a quarter century. He has led Dan Brody and the Broken Arrows Band, Dan Brody and the Grieving Widows, and Dan Brody and the Shadows of Love. His latest record, The Ballad of Cowboy Dan, ought to be on any Best of 2023 albums lists. When you listen to the opening four tracks of the album, in order, if your experience is like mine, with their varying themes, tempos, orchestration, and culminating in the infectious, losing love is dangerous, you're going to say to yourself, that's it. That's it. That's the height of this record. There's no way it can pick back up after that. And then you realize the ride has only just begun. Dan and I dive deep into this album. You're going to love the conversation. Here is what some critics had to say about Dan Brody and about the Ballad of Cowboy Dan. Martin Bolton from The Age wrote, If Dan Brody were an actor... He wouldn't be the star of the show. He'd be the guy the other actors on set wanted to hang out with, the guy the director would turn to when he needed a moment of inspiration to get the show on the road. This album shows why Brody was twice nominated for Aria Awards. And Chris Familton from PostToWire.com wrote, On the new album, Brody successfully finds common ground for his many influences, opening with the magnificent and brooding I Can Feel Love Closing In. He delivers the lines in a way that barely hangs together, which only adds to the melancholic romance and compelling storytelling. Dan is very well regarded, and he's a huge supporter of his local music scene, and he just loves getting up on stage playing with his other musician friends. Be sure to visit his website at danbrody.com.au. You can purchase the CD version, the LP version, get all the updates on Dan in the coming year. All right, let's get to the conversation. It is Dan Brody time. There is just quite a story to tell here, Dan, and I'm so thrilled to have you. Um, We are going to be discussing your catalog, but also promoting your most recent record, which I, the New York Times and maybe some other uh, mainstream publications put out like a best of the year. And I, I, I'm not buttering you up. I really think this should fall on that type of list of the albums that you need to listen to. The Ballad of Cowboy Dan is, is the latest record, released September 1st of 23. Dan, this is, like you say in the title track, for where you've come and where your story began, I'd say it's a modern masterpiece. Thank you. Great to have you. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm really good, thanks. I, um, it's summer over here, but you wouldn't know it because it's raining every day, but the weather's warm, so that's one thing. And everyone's on holidays and um, in the great Australian tradition, drinking themselves and eating themselves into oblivion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I Except know. for me, I'm, I'm not. But yeah, I've uh, pumped the brakes on some of that. Just heavy indulgence on all ends, and sometimes people think indulgence is just the really bad stuff. Sometimes it's just pigging out and just eating 
and eating and eating and uh yeah you get a little older you if if you want to you want to feel good most days you you pull back a little bit yeah Dan, it's true i stopped stopped drinking a couple of years ago as well which has been a really great thing really positive thing in my life so it's good to focus on what you you know what you enjoy and make the most of your time I'm really excited to hear that. I I wasn't sure and I wasn't prepared to ask you if you're still drinking because, you know, on each record, there's usually a song uh, and, and it may have some, <laughs> some, some dark humor about drinking. But I'm glad. I understand about 10 years ago, you really had a serious health scare that, that put a, probably put a lot of things yeah. in perspective for you. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I had... um. I got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is cancer of the lymphatic system. And um, I was touring in Europe and uh, I'd go to sing a song in these this big outdoor festivals and I'd go to sing and I'd just start coughing. And uh, and also after the show, I would just um, say to the band that I wanted to go back to the hotel and, you know, go to bed, which isn't like me at all. I mean, you know, I was always the last man standing at a party. and. Um, so I got back to Australia and, uh, yeah, that set off a whole, you know, anyone who's been seriously ill, things move very, very rapidly. And, um, yeah, I had chemotherapy and radiation for a year, some treatment, and um, thankfully came out the other side of it, hopefully a little bit wiser. Was the album Deep, Deep Love, was it complete before you started feeling ill or were you in the middle of writing those songs? No, it was finished. It was all finished, and I was about to organise a, an album launch in Melbourne, and I just um, delayed it for a year, and um, so yeah. Well, we'll we'll um, talk about the back catalogue a little bit here in a minute, but let's flash forward to the Ballad of Cowboy Dan. I just want to say, without just saying, oh, it's a great record, oh, it's a masterpiece. I want to tell you what I really. Th- why I think it is uh, so well done. It starts off with a spoken word track as, as far as the vocal line and melody. Mm. And that's the very first Dan Brody song that I heard. And when I played it, I thought, okay, this is interesting. And and I was I was feeling it and I was thinking, well, if the entire record is just like this track, I don't know if it's for me. And then, yeah. and then you get in to track number two, uh, which is Old Betty. And it's just an entirely different tempo, entirely different feel. I really wanted to ask you this because by the time you get to, and it's on this podcast, I can't say the words you can uh, just because it's clean format. But uh, track three, it really sets the Mm. tone for what hits you on number four. Losing Love is Dangerous. By the time I had completed those first four tracks, you you, you just had me. I, I could have laid on the floor and spread my arms wide and said, I'm in. <laughs> when you, have you guys had a chance, just speaking of that track, Losing Love is Dangerous, to, to perform that live? And if so, you've got to be bringing the house down with that that song. Yeah, we, we played it on Saturday night, and we opened with it. And, um, yeah, it really, it actually did. It's the first, second time we played it live. And, um, you know, it's a pretty traditional 12-bar belter, um, but it certainly hit in all the right spots. The audience was really there with us for the song, so nice way to open a set, I think. It's a nice sort of statement of intention in terms of, you know, it's quite a forceful-sounding song. Right, and um, you and your brother Chris collaborated on, on that song and maybe a couple others or one other on the album. I think the uh, the instrumental track. Mm, that's right. But you know, it's 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 funny what I say about the opener. Now, when I go back and listen to it, that might be my favorite song. I can feel love closing in, but it's it had to be arranged in that order. How much time in the studio do you do you spend when all the songs are are written and figuring out the track listing? Is that something you go over with the? Uh, I got some friends to do listing for me, mm-hmm. and. Um, so it's interesting your your observations of that of the album because normally you would probably start with the faster songs and then you you know 
usually you like, you know, track four or something, you put a slow song in. Most musicians, I think, would treat it like a live show. But I, I got, I found it, the job too difficult and um, I got some friends to do it for me and um, I loved what they, they said, oh, you should start the album with a slow, with the sort of spoken word piece and finish with the spoken word piece to create more of a narrative. And um, so that's what I, I went with. It's, it's a quite a hard job to do, you know, when you've been living with the songs for a couple of years and recording them. So that's what we ended up doing. That opening track, though, because sometimes, do you ever hear people say, I had to give it a few listens when they speak about an album, and then it becomes their favorite album, uh, maybe of the year? Yeah. Certain bands, like a, a favorite band puts out a new record, and you're thinking, you definitely don't hate it, but you don't understand it all yet. And uh, that was such a beautiful yes. thing. The first thing that I did appreciate with, because I play drums, I wouldn't say I play them that well but i play them well enough but i'm more of a lyric guy the lyrics really jump out at me and that's what piqued my interest was the story that's being told i um, i saw her again last night she was playing pool eating some potato chips and then you describe the female you know long dark hair brown eyes and then as the song goes on she takes on different forms different personas i have to ask you dan sometimes artists don't want to reveal the meaning but Man, that sounds like just the red-blooded male saying, I love women. I, I, I fall in love. Yeah. I can't help myself. Yeah, it is that, but it's a, it's a little bit more than that as well. Uh, let's say the character is also doesn't know what he, what he wants. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, there's that as, that as well. So on another smaller level, it's trying to show um, that the, the character is extremely confused. Yeah, I could definitely see that. But that's that. not as there's that as well. But yeah, the the first thing is um is pretty spot on. Yeah. Again, in track number three is the way I have to describe it. But folks, if you're listening to this podcast and you're and you're sitting down and you're able to maybe pull up the track listing, you could follow along with what we're talking about here. Dan, is this a reflection of all the things you've heard from all the passersby over the years that tell you, Oh, you're you're just so wonderful and then they've been there for the highs but they're gone during the lows and then they're back for the highs is that is yeah are you reflecting some of that back at those types or uh because i love that song and again it goes back to your subtle humor and your you just have a real deft touch is that the swear yeah yeah i'm the so that song people generally aren't as nasty towards us as we are towards ourselves and that's probably more that's my own. That song is really just a lit, litany of self-criticism. Yeah, that's something that probably an Australian would say, as opposed to <laughs> someone in America. Um, going back to your brother Chris, I was thinking about this today. I wanted to make sure that I asked. He's basically been there every step of the way in uh, various formats on most of the records. Going back to your very first show in 1990. You guys performed as teenagers. Do you ever think yeah. ever think about and, and let me just say on this record, Chris contributes lap steel, banjo, and guitar on, on various tracks and has writing credits on those two songs, Lost Inside a Dream and Live, Losing Love is Dangerous. But do you ever think about what your career would have been like maybe at some of those low points without your brother there by your by your side? Because I have to imagine he stuck with you when you're high rolling and when you're just down on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, he has. Um, yeah. He's been extremely important and um, yeah, some records he's maybe just contributed one guitar solo to one song, but um, I have an extremely close relationship with my two siblings, my brother and my sister. And uh, they've been a huge source of strength for me. We, we lost our mother when we were quite young and, and our father relatively. And so, uh, yeah, we're a very, very close family and I'd be really uh, in deep trouble without them in my life. So uh, they're both extremely important. And my brother's, yeah, very much a source of, uh, of support for me. It's been great. Yeah. And, and Chris uh, plays bass in the band Dallas Crane. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Chris does that. Dan, also, um, so you used the same producer on this record, 
from the last album, Funeraria Duval, maybe way off there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty close, I think. I don't really know. Mike Hubbard? Yeah. Mike Hubbard, Michael Hubbard is um is great. We um we had a mutual friend, this kind of legendary guitarist here in Australia that passed away called Spencer P. Jones. And he played in a band called the Beasts of Bourbon, who they had a lot of success in Europe, more so than the US. And he came he came from this kind of punk aesthetic and his band was the Johnnies and I guess he started this kind of, I mean, he was kind of in that genre of cowpunk, um, which I know some US bands did as well. Anyway, um, Mick played guitar with him in his last iteration, Spencer P. Jones and the Escape Committee. And I used to go and see Spencer play and I met Mick and Spencer ended up passing away and Mick started producing and he's been great. He's been fantastic. He's um really creative guy and some good ideas and uh yeah easy to work with so we've made two albums together yeah i love that record as well you can tell that the production quality on the latest record the ballad of cowboy dan and funeraria you can tell they had the same hands in there maybe yeah he's kind of got pop sensibilities you can hear that you can hear that with some of the guitar stuff that he does he's good at finding the hook of the song the the guitar work, especially on on the outer, and folks listening, there's yeah. there's a video that you can watch for this song. Some excellent guitar work, kind of at the middle point and and towards the end of the song. There is that all you? Um, that song is uh is all Chris. Okay. Um, it's pretty kind of free form. It's got a riff throughout it and stuff. Um, I made that film clip. I think I made it during lockdown or just as we started. We we had a pretty harsh lockdown here in Melbourne. Everyone went a bit crazy. Uh, I think we were locked down for 300 days or something. So wow. It was pretty brutal. On that note, I was going to ask, because I've talked to some other artists, with the lockdown being so prolonged and you're used to being, you're used to moving pretty fast or you're at this venue and then that venue and this location that location now all of a sudden you're in one spot when you come out of it is it easy to get back into that frenetic pace again or do you kind of take this new comfort in just being still for a moment with your life (laughs) uh that that happened for a while i mean people covid seems to be back this summer now i've just spoke to a friend yesterday a lot of people have it again and um i've had it twice i think once i can't remember i think um covid really taught people to have an appreciation of each other you know as much as we all annoy each other at times i I feel like that's that was a positive take from it that we people need each other for support particularly the music community people people seem to become a lot nicer to each other after covid so that's been good yeah they probably took the companionships that they had for not maybe not for granted well maybe they did yeah because yeah um, it's it's one thing to sit on your cell phone and um and text people but to to do that is the only way to communicate with people because you can't leave your home um yeah you start to long for the human connection yeah that's right so um yeah i'm back into it i i play piano with a bunch of bands as well so that that keeps me busy. I really enjoy that side of my career. That's relatively recently. That's only been for a few years, actually. So I play probably about three nights a week, three or four nights a week. So um, that's good. Yeah. So I just love playing live. That's where, for me, where, you know, that's like the moment of truth. From the moment I first did it, when I was... Um, the first pub show I had was when I was 15 and um, it was the most terrifying and exhilarating feeling of my life. And, you know, like someone going to try and find their hit, you know, a junkie trying to find their, their, that great high. I feel like you're sort of chasing that your whole life, that, that feeling again. It's kind of strange. Yeah, I can see that when you're 15 years old and you're up there, uh, even as, like you said, as terrified as that first experience was, 
Is it almost like a theme park ride where you want to, you still want to do it all over again? Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's bizarre. And some nights are terrible. I mean, you know, you know, you put on a brave face and you're professional, but some nights you go home, you're like, oh, for God's sake, that was just, you know, the sound was bad. The audience was unresponsive. Um, but I don't know, even the bad nights are better than a, a working week doing something that you don't like. I box as well. And I, I haven't fought um, competitively, but I've done a lot of sparring in the ring. And that to me feels the same, exactly the same as playing a live show. It's like the bell goes and you're on and you've got a tiny amount of time to fend yourself, punch, move, duck, weave, survive and express yourself. And if you make one wrong move, you're on the canvas. So I don't know, that might be a little naff, that analogy, but uh, I've always likened it as, sim as a similar thing. I feel like you probably need to be on the clock, under pressure. Uh, yeah. And just that need to challenge yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like a boxing match. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. And, you know, and sometimes, sometimes you get knocked to the ground, but uh, that's part of it. You, don't, you, never sh you never show that, like in a boxing ring, you never show that you're hurt. You just keep going. And Dan, in your songwriting and in, in your lyrics, this is really what, and not just because I, I was going to have you as a guest on the show, but when I was diving into the catalog, getting into the songs, it, it really struck me how you open yourself up. You're not just the guy on the top of the mountain, but you're not afraid to write lyrics that show how hurt you are or how much you're longing for love that has been lost. Yeah. There's, I mean... Uh, I made a lot of money. I lost it twice. I never did listen to my own advice. I uh, tie myself to a cross at night uh, and then goes on. Uh, my head and my heart get mixed up sometimes. I cry myself to sleep at night. There's a lot of men that have gone to bed with tears in their eyes, and very few of them talk about it or write about it. I thought that was huge. Yeah. And is that my last picture show? I think yeah. that is from the... From yeah, I love that. That's kind of yeah, on it's the my last second bit. half of the of the album. That's right. Yeah. Just beautiful stuff. Um oh, thank you. Well, it's good to be um it's good to be honest, I suppose. And uh yeah, I mean it it is very honest and there's there's facts mixed with, mixed with fiction and I feel far more comfortable writing about that than um Let's just say that for me, it's a much more comfortable realm than, let's say, real life. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, like. I'm not without bearing my soul. You know, I'm I'm not the easiest person to talk about any of that stuff in person, and, and those closest to me would probably agree with that. And so, this is my way of letting it out with a catchy. I mean, that song mm -hmm. in particular has got a real catchy swing. It's quite an upbeat swinging song but um you know it comes at a price because the, you know personally i'm probably not gonna talk about any of that stuff so i'm sort of setting myself up for some problems <laughs> <laughs> well i just so enjoy it because as a fan, oh, a fan of music and of an artist that is an open book it helps me get in touch with some of that some of those emotions as well Every everybody's oh, that's... got something unresolved in their heart, yeah, uh, in their head, and it may be from two weeks ago or twenty years ago, and you, yeah, you may be ninety eight percent over something, but you still have that thought running through your mind every so often. So, I just I yeah, love that. Oh, that's great to hear. I mean, you know, I in the same way that I love love I love movies and um, I love living vicariously through actors and that's probably a very similar a similar thing you know it's exaggerated versions of of people or yeah i think that's what i mean and dan um i also put in some my notes here you can't stop what's begun this song i had the hardest time getting my brother to listen to anything that i recommend and it could be right in his wheelhouse and it will take him two years to finally 
listen to it. So I got to think of clever ways to get him to, all right, well, listen to this one track. You can't stop what's begun. Dan, I think that a Netflix producer, a Hollywood producer needs to approach you about this track and include it in a full-length film. It's just got that feel to it. Um, it's got that haunting whisper, the devil on the shoulder type thing, take the money and the gun. Um, you know, what? Do, do you know what, remember what inspired that song? Another question maybe, do, the, do you ever start scratching out lyrics before you have the melody or does the melody come first? So that song and, and in relation to your question, it's usually um, those kind of mood pieces that kind of write themselves. It's usually a, a feeling that you, you have and the, the words just pour out. The whole feeling pours out. So it's like whatever you're feeling and you, you wake up and often it's in the morning as well. You get out of bed, you wake up feeling like that. And that song in particular has got a real um, sense of fatalism to it, that it doesn't matter which road you take things aren't going to aren't going to end well and so i i have noticed some songs do have a nihilistic quality to them you know i think i think i've been in that i think i've fallen into that feeling a lot i'm not a lot but you know throughout my life as we all have and one of the reasons why i stopped drinking was to sort of put a stop to that put a stop line there doesn't mean i still can't write about it and feel it but it's a bad place to be and it can lead to a whole bunch of trouble and we've all seen friends and aspects of ourselves go on this nihilistic uh, trip. And uh, I just think that it's, it's, you know, people talk about heaven and hell and everything. And, you know, I think that's what hell is. It's, um, it's hopelessness and it's within us all as is God and goodness and love uh, equally equal parts. And, I suppose it, fright, it frightens me, and so it's quite interesting to write about. Yeah, speaking about sobriety, I'm. if you had asked me two months ago, I had no plan to stop drinking. I still don't know if I'll, if I'll have a drink in two weeks or next Wednesday. I don't know yeah. yet, but for some reason, I, you know, I got COVID in November, and uh, sometimes if you, if you go down for a week and a half with the flu— or you just don't feel well enough to drink or smoke cigarettes. Uh, there were times when I smoked that I just a few days would go by, and uh, you, your body thanks you for for <laughs> not being able to do that and yeah. feel better. Uh, but yeah, so I've I've actually put together like an eight week stretch of, and I, huh. I I've got cold beer in the fridge. I mean it's right there, but um, yeah, I kind of like at least day by day, um, not having it in my routine. I don't, didn't really need to be there right now. Yeah. But you start, oh, that's great. You notice some things. I think in life we need a lot of people, especially in this day and age, you need immediate results. There's an immediacy that we want to see. There's this give and take. All right, if I put the cigarettes down, I better be feeling like 100 bucks tomorrow. Uh, if I you know, stop, yeah. stop drinking, you don't really notice how your body improves uh, or just the way you feel improves the next day. It's going to take some time, but you will notice it. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's really positive. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't think anyone can really drink after the age of 40 because you're declining, right? Your body is declining. And, and Henry Rollins, he had a quote recently. He said, you know, exercising is your, your body's um, trying to fool your body that you're not dying. Well, that was pretty funny. Uh, um, but, you know, each their own. Having said all that, uh, Dan, I'm in the alcohol selling business. I mean, you know, I don't get hired to play in a pub or in a hotel, you know, for the sake of it. You're selling. It's ultimately, the, system, the way it's set up, it has been for a long time, you're selling booze. So, But, you know, I can only live my own life on my own terms and let people know the positive aspects of my life, but I'm not going to ram, ram it down people's throat either, you know? So. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, um, but, but, um, eight weeks is great. I mean, I, I got a book that was, um, over lockdown. So over lockdown, I went to the bottle shop and, um, we, we got some government money and 
because <laughs> it couldn't work. And so I got, I grabbed my money and I bought a whole, I bought every bottle of that you'd have in a cocktail bar. And I set up my own private cocktail bar in my room. And uh, I was making, I always wanted to make martinis and margarita, you know, I bought, and I got right into it. So I did that for about, I don't know, three, six months. And then woke up one day and said, well, that's, you know, I can't keep doing this. And so um, I got this book called 100 Days Sober. And each day had an affirmation. And after 100 days, I thought, oh, that, I'll keep going with it because I felt better. So that's what happened. That's really good. It's the long, long term, like, oh, my gosh, I got to quit forever. It's a little overwhelming for people. It is. Um, but you it can, is. You and can... people, I don't think people should just have a week off or something. Start with that. Right. Yeah. You know, talking about this, my favorite track I from your back catalog, because I just I really love the new album, but uh Terrace Down and the video that goes along with that. I had oh, yep. a, a quite a powerful experience watching that video. You know, it's like the first thing that's in focus is just you and then your guitar comes into play and then what maybe is a cocktail comes into play. Yeah. That's uh yeah, lyrically, musically, that the chord progression in that song, uh, just I just think it's one of your standout tracks. Oh, thank you. Do you uh, perform that one live still? Yeah, I do. Um, I actually just performed it live with a band at a festival recently for the first time in, um, well, ever. I'd never played it with a band. I do... When I play solo, I, I play it. At the moment, I'm trying to blend. I've got this kind of real huge difference in the music. There's this real punk, energetic rock and roll side. And then there's this quite tender-hearted balladry. And at the moment, I suppose I'm trying to reconcile those two things because I think that that's, that's what I do. And... That's what people respond to. And to go one way isn't a true representation of, of myself. So, uh, yeah, I've just started playing that song again, Terrace Down. I like that song. And that one took literally as long as the song is to write. It took about three or four minutes to write. It was just, I remember when I wrote it, I wrote it in a kitchen with a six pack of beer a long time ago. And the music video was done in the middle of chemotherapy. So I was three months into it and I was, um, so with, with chemo, yeah, people have had it. I'm sure plenty of your listeners, you get sick and then you feel better again. And as you're on the upswing, they dose you again. So it was like on the upswing and I think I, I had to get, go back the next day or something and then I'd get sick again. So we shot that. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good video. I like that. It's pretty raw actually, really. I mean, it doesn't get much rawer than that, I suppose. Cause yeah, I wasn't feeling very well. It was really good of my brother and my friend Dave to make the video for me too. So it was a lovely gift of them. Yeah, and like you were just saying, there's multiple sides to you. You take a video and a song like that, and then Un Don't Tras and the video for that one <laughs> is quite comical. So, folks, if you, again, I, I think I said this at the top of the episode, if you listen to a couple tracks and you think you've got Dan Brody pinned down to one style, he's going to completely flip the script on you the more you listen, and you're going to love it. That video. <laughs> that was great. Who, uh, that must have taken some collaboration, the the concept of that video, Undotra, Sasasan. And that's from Funeraria. Yeah. That was made by a friend of mine, Joe Volanti, and He's kind of involved in the comedy acting world. He got a bunch of different people involved. And then my friend did did the graphics with the sausages and stuff. And uh, I really like that song, Under Trois Sausages Son. I've done a fair bit of touring in Europe over the years and got a bit of a fan base in France. And um, I just, uh, you know, I like those kind of... With, I mean, with songwriting, to, I mean, to answer the question about the variety of songs, I just... I love all songwriting. I find it very difficult to, to focus on one style, but I, I do admire people that do that. And 
I think you have an easier career if you do. I, you do because people go, all right, cool. They're this or they're that. What I do is, it's what I do, but it, yeah, it doesn't make for an easy, easy ride. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm like the ween of Australia. You know, here's a, here's a country record. Now here's a metal record. Now here's a, you know, but for me, it's all part of the same tapestry. Under Twice Son is a, is a fun gimmick song with this intense um, refrain of one, two, three sausages, um, which I guess appeals to my sense of humor. So what can I say? Yeah. And uh, it has a real psychedelic quality to it, which I can imagine goes over pretty well in the live performance. And, um, yeah. and, and you speak in uh, track number three, again, as I call it on uh, the ballad of cowboy Dan, you only like me because I'm big in France. Um, so an, an ode to your French fans there. Yeah. Also, Dan, and I'll put this, when I promote the episode, I'll make sure to uh, mention your accolades here. You're twice nominated for ARIA Music Awards. Um, and that was for your major label debut on Capitol Records, Empty Arms, Broken Hearts, which... Again, this is, I, I, if what I read was correct, you guys went back in one night and did the retrospective, The Big Hearted Loving Man, which captured like your favorite songs from those early records up to about 2014, or you recorded that in one night. Yeah. That's a good one, because some of those tracks on the on the first few albums, I couldn't find immediately available as far as for download. Um, yeah. But some great songs there. Yeah, Low- the first album. I think Lower Me Down yeah. was one of my favorites from... Well, Lower Me Down is from My Friend the Murderer. Yeah. That's one of my favorite albums, My Friend the Murderer. I released that in 2011. And that's the first independent record that I made. I got signed to EMI when I was pretty young. EMI Capital. And um, yeah, that was a really trippy experience. They were a good team of people. Like, you know, they were this guy, Tony Harlow, this English guy was in Australia running EMI. He loved what I did and he signed me. And um, so I released three albums with them. And yeah, the ARIA Awards, they're called. Got to go to that and get nominated. And uh, we worked with some American producers and flew them out for that record, Empty Arms, Broken Hearts. Guy called John Wooler, who'd worked with Willie Nelson. And this other guy called John, uh, Oz Fritz, who'd done um, Bone Machine with Tom Waits. He was an engineer. And, yeah, they came out and uh, and produced and engineered the record. And, yeah, it was a, a really – it was a good experience. It was, you know, of its time. I don't, I don't know – I don't think my – now I would – it was fun at the time. You work with big marketing teams. I mean, that, that stuff's just not really around anymore unless you're Taylor Swift or something um, that so many people I know didn't get to experience that. It's a, it was a once in a lifetime. It was, it was the music industry. I mean, it, people argue that there's not even a music industry anymore, which um, I don't know. It's so DIY now. There's no rules and it's kind of exhilarating. You know, you can make whatever music videos you want. You can record whenever you want. It's pretty cool. You got to look at the positives, I think. Yeah. Like, like you said, it probably, it fit the time period. Yeah. Is it right that you, you financed the first EP on Floating Mama, maybe even Big Black Guitar? Yeah. Um, I guess, or the independent release before? Yeah, I just financed that myself through cleaning or whatever I was doing at the time. And then, yeah, and then I was on a small label, Australian label, and then that led to the the deal with EMI. And, um, yeah, I mean, the the difference between being on a major label and independent, I mean, it's, you know, it's vast experiences. I mean, the the budgets for the music videos were, you know, huge. The, the budgets for the recording was were, were huge. So um, I feel pretty blessed that I got to experience, um, it's that almost famous type, uh, you know, what people dream about. I got to experience it. So um, it was good. Yeah. Well, I... Again, I think that you've written your best record. I read artist interviews where 
it's common for the artists themselves to say, oh, this is the best thing that we've put out. Um, this is some of my best song songwriting. It's like, well, of course that you're going to say that, but as a uh, listener and just the evolution that I've studied just the past few weeks, I really think the Ballad of Cowboy Dan, it uh, it's a culmination. It, it's the story. It's the... I guess you probably started hearing Cowboy Dan way back when you released the first single, I Love You Baby. Were people calling you Cowboy Dan in those early years? And so you said, well, shoot, I guess I probably just need to do an album here. You guys have created this character. Let's give it some life. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) what happened. Uh, Um. So yeah, exactly. That's exactly why I did it, and I just I, I just thought it was hilarious. And um, people haven't used that title for a very long time, so I thought, well, I'll just you know resurrect it and um, create this character, and I'll give you what exactly what you want. And the songs have a lot of gusto and a lot of bravado and a lot of myth creation, and it's also commenting on that as well. You know, the Americana scene, alt country scene, it used to be called. It's one of the fastest growing scenes in the world, particularly in Australia. I'm sure in the US as well. And um, every man and woman and their dog is um, donning a, a cowboy hat and um, talking about the Dust Bowl and um, their experience, you know, uh, as an Okie. And, <laughs> and uh, anyway, hey, I just thought um, it might be a nice time to uh, to go into that go into that world you know i hope that doesn't come across as too cynical because i do love that kind of music and i play that sort of i mean i i dip my toe pretty heavily into the sort of twang and stuff and it's very heartfelt but um i also thought it was a nice um a a way to um present an album yeah Yeah. and the artwork the design there uh, it's just it's captivating now a, re- right. a recent review of your music, Chris Hamilton, posttowire.com. Yep. For people listening, this is what he had to say. Quote, if you can imagine Dylan and Nilsson recording an eclectic, cosmic Americana record, it might sound something like this impressive album. I think he hit the nail on the head there. Um, I know way back you were referred to as Australia's Mellencamp. Get some comparisons to Elvis. On certain tracks, Johnny Cash, Steve Earle, probably more appropriately. But again, yeah, you've kind of got little flashes of those characters, those performers, but there's only one Dan Brody. And and, and you kind of don't get too far or too pot committed, I guess, to one one character, one style, uh, one type of songwriting. No, I don't. And I mean... I wouldn't really want to. I think life's way too interesting to go into just one one style. You've got to inject your personality into it. And um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, Dan, it hasn't it hasn't been the easiest career in the world. And if I reined it in a bit, I probably could have had an easier ride. But again, you can only be be yourself. The people that I really admire, I mentioned Spencer P. Jones, his other Australian songwriters um well and songwriters around the world i mean dylan's a fine example i mean he's done exactly what he what he wanted to do uh, so you know obviously neil young is a is a great touchstone and um another guy's done exactly what he wanted to do so um that's what i yeah that's what something that i really respect well dan we'll have to hopefully connect again maybe this time next year maybe this time six months from yeah, now. I have to. so much more I want to dive into with you. But folks, visit the website. It's danbrody.com.au. You can find the videos there. You can order The Ballad of Cowboy Dan on LP, on vinyl. You can read Dan's bio. You can read some other press on him. Uh, we didn't talk about Lost Not Found. It's a very... Wow, I mean, you see some of the tracks on here, and you you have you have an expectation. I mean, I like Motorhead, and I saw Damage Case, and I said, because at first when you're looking at it, 
you don't immediately know that this is Motorhead. And so when I hit play, you could have never predicted this interpretation. We, we'll have to, again, like I said, that's a topic for another episode. Dan, you've been so generous with your time. I'm glad to introduce you to my listeners, get you some more exposure, and my gosh, critics, get with the program uh, over here in the States. Get on the Dan Brody train, and let's get some hype for this album. And I'm, I'm excited, like you said, that you just beyond what you're doing and your own music, you like just getting up there and playing with other performers, just playing music. I do. Yeah, I just love connecting with an audience. And I've been playing accordion as well, which I love too. And you play piano, acoustic, electric guitar, harmonica. And I did mean to highlight the, the backup female vocalist on some of your tracks. I may have to ask you their names. I had them written down, but I've got things scattered here. Who are, like on uh, The Ballad of Cowboy Dan, the title track? I've got a bunch of friends in Melbourne that are all called Katie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to put them all in the same because that'll piss them <laughs> off. But um, so there's Katie Bates who plays bass in my band. And she's a singer-songwriter in her own right. She's great. She just did a tour of the US and Europe with a, another songwriter playing bass with her, actually, for three months. Played Nashville all over. And um, so she plays bass. She's back in Australia and sings, got a beautiful voice. And then on that song, my last picture show, there's a girl called Katie Brianna, who's also a great singer-songwriter, and she's got three albums out. And um, so, yeah, it's a really strong community in Melbourne. You know, I mean, people from all around Australia moved to Melbourne to uh, get some traction, and... uh, it's a good scene, very supportive. So we all play in each other's bands. I've got a big bunch of friends and yeah, it's, it's a nice thing. I think you, you really need that as an artist, musician, without the community, you know, it's a pretty lonely, um, lonely uh, existence. And Dave Watkins, I, I should have said something earlier, speaking about the title track of the album, I want to be sure I mention this. What he starts doing on that ride symbol about halfway through the song I just fell back in my chair and I thought, nobody does this. I don't, I don't hear this in other songs. This is amazing. And he just starts, I don't know if that was completely improvised. Uh, if you knew it was happening, if it was a rain, but just folks listen to the whole album, but listen to the title track. You're going to fall in love with it. I just love that, that open percussion kind of jazzy. Don't know what I'm going to be banging on next. And yeah, just, it was perfect. Yeah, he's great, Dave. I um, probably haven't spoke about him enough in interviews, but um, yeah, he did a great job playing on the album. He's moved to another state of Australia, so I haven't really seen him for a while. But um, yeah, it would be nice to... um, Live, I play with different people than the album, but um, yeah, he did a great job. All right. Well, anything else that you want to promote here? Anything you want to plug? Uh, not really, no. Um, I'm just really busy. Um, the album, The Ballad of Cowboy Dan, I just wanted to say was, I, I, made, I recorded a spoken word album over lockdown, which never came to fruition. And um, so The Ballad of Cowboy Dan was part of that. And that's why it came on to the new project with more of a song-based project. So uh, I'm working on the spoken word album now. And, um, so that's going to be, uh, yeah, I guess that's going to be what the original version of the Ballad of Cowboy Dan would, would have been like without song structure. So a little bit more abstract. So that's exciting. And, uh, I, hopefully I'll be able to talk to you about that once I, um, I get it off the ground, but I, I want to say thanks so much for having me. And, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and really refreshing to talk to someone that's really gone deep on the album and, and listened. And, um, it's a really, it's a really uh, good feeling. So thank you, Dan. You're welcome. And thanks for, again, dedicating the time for this. I feel like I get long winded at times. The discussion just goes on and not. And so I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I certainly did. And I would love to talk to you again. 
uh, after the next release. Absolutely. Okay, Dan. Well, um, and maybe see you in the States. Maybe I'll make my way to uh, Melbourne, Australia. It's on the bucket list. Any plan? You probably don't have any immediate plans for uh, an international, any international touring, right? Uh, nothing immediate, but um, I certainly would like to get back to the U.S. The last time I was there was 2011. Um, I did South by, and I played in LA and and in New York, and um, always have a good time there. And uh, I mean, even though my music's kind of selling ice to the Eskimos. Um, I find U.S. audiences kind of appreciate what I do, and so uh, no, no, I'd love love to to get back there. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned. I guess we'll see. All right. Well, you look great. You sound great. I'm so happy to hear. I had no idea about your um, sobriety. So uh, keep on keeping on, man. And yeah, uh, you know, I'm glad that I found you and discovered your music just through this podcast. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have, but I love what you're doing. Thank you, Dan. Okay, folks. Well, that's it for this episode of Dan Time. And remember, there's there's music outside of your bubble just waiting to delight your ears, and you're only a few clicks away from finding it. Um, if you keep listening to the show, I'm going to make it my mission to always introduce artists to you that you would not have ordinarily found. You wouldn't have scrolled to the bottom of the page where it says, oh, you like this? You might also like these four or five others. You're not going to find everything that you need to hear that way. So uh, I don't know, even know how to wrap that comment up. But uh, remember, go to Dan Brody, B-R-O-D-I-E dot com dot A-U. Check out his catalog if you're on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you stream music check out the back catalog as well. This has been great. You guys have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time on the Dan Time Podcast. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. All right. If you love that episode, if you're enjoying the Dan Time Podcast, be sure to download and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can reach me at dantimepod at gmail.com. If you really want to connect with Dan Time through the week, visit any of the social media pages. I'm on X, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can't miss me. And if nothing else, as I've said before, just talk about the show. If you're having a good time with it, tell your friends about it. Send a text about it. I appreciate you as a listener. Hope you have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday.